Glenn's good friends with Rich, and just he's been a gift to us over the years. He's preached here before. Rich has been there a few times. But actually, New Life Church is quite a, a famous church. It's got a long, rich, varied history like we do at New Life, and really has emerged as one of the, you know, one of the great churches in our country as well. So he's written a book that's he's actually preaching on the theme of uh, the book that he's just recently written. It'll be out in another month. I encourage you to pick it up, but you're going to hear the heart of that uh, book in this message, and I encourage you to pick it up because we're going to hear today a gift um, you know, from the Word of God from Glenn. So let me invite you to give him a nice, warm welcome, Glenn Pacquiao. Well, good morning. Thank you, Pastor Pete. It is such an honor to be in this place this morning. Uh, Pete, you're, you know, Pete and Jerry is the founding pastors of this place have made such a deep impact on so many people all around the world. And I know that the message that they carry is really a message that you carry. It's a message that you guys have lived out and lived together. Several years ago, someone gave me a copy of the Emotionally Healthy Leader book, which Typically, when people put a book on my desk, it's usually a passive-aggressive message, like, I think you need to read this, you know? And uh, so instantly, my guard was up, but I, I ended up picking it up and reading it, and it, it made a deep impact on my life. My wife and I read it together. We had our, our staff at, uh, at New Life Downtown, which is one of our congregations, read that, and then that led to us running some of the courses. So it's been a few years now, and we run the EHD courses uh, three times a year, and we've had a couple hundred, or maybe 300 uh, people go through them already in the last couple years, and they just, their lives are being really deeply impacted by it. We actually then introduced it to our uh, pastoral and ministry staff at New Life Church. About 120 people just this past year uh, went through the EHR stuff. So your stories, your life, the thing you as a church embody and the message that Pete and Jerry uh, have uh, curated and, and cultivated uh, is going around the world. And we're, we're deeply, deeply grateful for it. And then your pastor, Rich, and I have become dear friends over the last several years, and uh, uh, Rich is just such an inspiration to me. I respect him and admire him. You guys are blessed as a church. You know that? You're really, really, it's a wonderful... And thank you for being a church that, that takes care of your pastors and giving him and Rosie some time this summer uh, for a sabbatical. Now, Rich, you know, we talk fairly often and every, you know, I just can't keep up with all the stuff Rich is reading. You know, it's like every, every day he finishes a new book. So I used to sort of take notes from him and say, okay, so that's one I should read next. Now I got smart, but I just asked Rich for his summary notes, you know, because he'll write these five-page papers. Nobody's even assigning it. And, and, and so I just say, Rich, just send that to me. So we've got a little wager going on how many books Rich is going to read during the sabbatical. Uh, being here with all of you is also a great treat. Uh, not only do our churches share a similarity in name, New Life Fellowship, New Life Church, but I feel a kindredness being with you as a church. So many times Rich and I will be uh, talking and comparing notes and he'll say, yeah, this is what we're doing here. And I'll say, oh, that's what we're doing, or, uh, be it a sermon series or, or, or practices that you do. And so it's just so good to be here. And Queens is just, it's got to be the best place on earth, right? This has got to be like a slice of heaven right here. Uh, as, as Pete said, I, I grew up in Malaysia, and so any Southeast Asian uh, folks in the house, you can quietly represent, you know, just... Um, 
My father's Tamil, my mom is Sinhalese, so uh, I, was, I was born in Malaysia, grew up there, and uh, being in, in Queens and the diversity here and, and uh, around the corner at the Asian market, I mean, I just feel like I'm home. So uh, it's wonderful, wonderful to be with you. You're in a series this summer called Encounters with Jesus, and the idea here in this series is not just to hear some cute little Bible stories about Jesus way back when. Uh, you know, maybe some of you remember the days of, of Sunday school where there was those flannel graph kind of boards and you had those sticky figures that went on the, the screen and you hear these nice stories. And you're like, oh, isn't this great? Jesus did this and then Jesus did that. Look, the point of a series like this is not to refresh our memory on those stories and say, isn't that nice? The point of this series is to awaken a hunger in us. To say the risen Jesus is still encountering us by the Holy Spirit today. Amen? And so I want to invite you to pray with me this morning as we open up the scriptures that this would be a moment, this would be a day where God by his Holy Spirit helps us to encounter his son Jesus again through the scriptures. So Father, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for your work in us. We thank you for the way that you call us to yourself. And Lord, as we open your word today, we just invite your Holy Spirit to come. Come and open up our eyes that we would see Jesus today. That we would hear the voice and the words of Jesus today. That our minds would be opened up to understand. That our hearts would become soft, ready to believe and to trust in Jesus. We pray these things in his name. And everybody said Amen, amen, amen. Is there anything more ordinary than bread? Uh, I heard this morning that there's a place uh, near the the 9-11 memorial that actually has a big sign that shows bread from all around the world, or the equivalent of bread. Growing up in Malaysia, I had roti. Anyone know roti? Yes, come on, somebody. And uh, I mean, roti, I could eat roti breakfast, lunch, and dinner. You know, it's this flaky, flat bread, and you dip it in the lentil curry. I mean, literally, it was my breakfast. Many days, it was my lunch and my dinner. It's just amazing. But if you think about it, every culture has some version of this, right? And the Chinese has those, the buns that are stuffed with a sweet meat and pork. And, and uh, you know, in Mexican culture, you have tortillas, and the French have baguettes. And my wife is from the Midwest. She's from Iowa, you know the home of maybe white bread. And uh, so, you know, we've, we've got all of this, we've got all of these traditions from all around the world, but bread is sort of this ordinary staple. And maybe that's what makes bread the perfect metaphor for our lives. Because when we think about our lives, we think, well, who are we? We're just bread. We're not anything special. We're not anything extraordinary. Maybe so-and-so, uh, maybe they're extraordinary. Maybe they are the ones that matter to God. But I'm just sort of common. I'm just another person. I'm just an average uh, you know, guy, average girl, just an average human being. Could, I, could my life really matter to God? Could my life really be caught up in the story of God at work in his world? But bread in the scripture is used as a metaphor for several holy things And I think it's precisely bread's commonness that makes it the perfect metaphor. In the Old Testament, bread is used as a picture of the law of the Lord, of God's self-revelation. When God is speaking to Israel, it's compared to bread from heaven. Jesus in the New Testament in John's gospel says of himself, he says, I am the bread of heaven. And you're thinking, look, Jesus, if you were going to give us a metaphor for your life, couldn't you have chosen something a little more special? 
Maybe you're the prime rib of heaven. You know, maybe you're the something a little more exquisite. Bread. Everybody knows what bread is. And that's exactly the point. That the incarnation says to us that God has come to put on human flesh. God has come to inhabit the thing that we think is just ordinary and common. And yet it is crammed full of glory. It's like the prophet Isaiah heard when he had his vision. He said he heard the living creatures saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. Not only is God holy and above and other, but he's near and here. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Three times in Luke's gospel, Jesus takes bread in his hands. Three times. There's three different stories. And in each of these stories that Luke tells, Jesus does the same three things with it. He blesses the bread, he breaks the bread, and he gives it. And so I want us to turn this morning to Luke chapter 9, verse 10, and we'll begin our story there. When the apostles returned, they described for Jesus what they had done. And taking them with him, Jesus withdrew privately to a city called Bethsaida. They're hoping for a little retreat time with Jesus. They're hoping for a day alone with God, literally. Instead, what happens is the crowds figure it out. When the crowds figured it out, they followed him. And Jesus welcomed them. Isn't that amazing? What a picture into the heart of Jesus. He welcomed them. He spoke to them about God's kingdom and healed those who were sick. And when the day was almost over, the 12 came to him and said, send the crowd away so that they can go to the nearby villages and countryside and find lodging and food because we are in a deserted place. A deserted place. These are, this, the situation is the disciples feel overwhelmed. This crowd has already overstayed their welcome in their minds. And so they're like, Jesus, just send them away. Enough is enough. Get them out of here. And then Jesus responds. In verse 13, he replied, you give them something to eat. But they said, we have no more than five loaves of bread and two fish unless we go and buy food for all these people. And they said this because about 5,000 men were present. And Jesus said to his disciples, seat them in groups of about 50. And they did so. And everyone was seated. And Jesus took the five loaves and the two fish, looked up to heaven, and he blessed them. And he broke them. And he gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd. And everyone ate until they were full. And the disciples filled 12 baskets with the leftovers. These three words changed everything in the story. These three words took a deserted place and made it a place of abundance. These three words changed what was a barren situation, an impoverished situation, and made it a fruitful situation. These three words changed a place of need into a banquet feast. What is it about these words? I want us to imagine for a moment that we are like the bread in Jesus' hands. That we are bread that is common and ordinary and unspectacular, but something can happen to us when we begin to place our lives in Jesus' hands. The first thing I want to say to you this morning is that in the hands of Jesus, your life becomes blessed. In the hands of Jesus, your life becomes blessed. Now, blessed is a funny word, isn't it? I mean, maybe in some circles it's just sort of a churchy word or a religious word. 
One of the reasons I like the word blessed is it implies that something from the outside is giving us what we need. In, a, in its truest sense, we can't bless ourselves. In its truest sense, we can't reach beyond ourselves to bless us. We need someone else to bless us, someone else to lay hands on us. I spent about four or five years living in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and in those, in those years, I, I encountered what we now call the prosperity gospel. And so I heard the word blessed being used in a very peculiar way. And people would talk about the word blessed to talk about having riches and having wealth and actually having no problems. That to be blessed was somehow this weird way to, to magically make every obstacle in your life dis disappear. Now, even if we reject the prosperity gospel, which we should, I still think that we struggle with understanding how to use this word blessed. And I imagine if, if you, you know, plop down into America right now in this day, and maybe you're an alien from outer space and you just got landed on here and you're trying to figure out the language and all of the stuff and culture and society and all that, and you just studied social media, and you just looked at all the way people used hashtag blessed, <laughs> what would you think? Oh, well, to be blessed is to have like a perfect foamy latte in your artisan coffee shop. To be blessed is to have your dream vacation. To be blessed is to have that kitchen remodel happen. And to be blessed is to... Yeah, the, all of the things that we say, oh, the, I am living the good life. <laughs> But I think the scripture has something deeper to say about what it means to be blessed. The Orthodox theologian Alexander Schmemann says it this way. He says, God blesses everything he creates And in biblical language, this means that he makes all creation the sign and the means. Somebody say the sign, the sign. and the means. the means, yes, of his presence and wisdom, love and revelation. What's Schmemann saying? He's saying everything in this world was made to be a sign that points to God. This is why you look at a beautiful sunrise or a sunset or the waves on the beach or the birds in the air and you think, gosh, that reminds me of something. The faithfulness of the sunrise and the sunset, that reminds me of the faithfulness of God. The psalmists do this stuff all the time. They look at the created world and they begin to say, this speaks to me about something. The steadiness of the mountains of Colorado speaks to me of the righteousness of God, the justice of God. Creation is a sign, but not just a sign, but a means that actually as we understand that the whole earth is full of God's glory, it's a way that we can actually experience God. Not only when we sing, not only when we come together, not only when we open the scriptures, but everywhere we go through our relationships with one another, this is a holistic kind of spirituality that encompasses everything. God blesses everything he creates. If you think about Genesis There's many remarkable things about the way the Genesis story is different than other ancient accounts of how the world began. There were, there were lots of myths from the ancient Near East. One story is called the Enuma Elish, and it gives the account of gods at war with one another, and one god wins a victory over another god and rips his guts out and flings it up in the heavens and says, voila, there's the sun, you know. And then they create human beings to be their slaves. It's a very different account of the world. 
And I imagine a Jewish kid in exile in Babylon playing with, around the, you know, the playground or whatever and overhearing the Babylonian kids talking about these stories and going home and saying, Dad, is that how the world began? And the Jewish father saying, sit down for a minute, son, let me tell you something. In the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth. And the first thing we recognize is there's only one God, not a plethora of gods, because this God is strong enough by himself. And not only is this God strong and sovereign and the only God, but this God purposefully ordered the world, gave everything a place and a purpose, and then stepped back every step of the way and said, this is good. And when he created male and female, men and women, human beings, he says, this is very good. And Genesis 1 says, and God blessed them. God blessed them. Listen, to be blessed is to be restoried and renamed. It's to be reminded of your origin story. If you're a superhero fan, you like the you know, Marvel movies, whatever, the, the, the best part about a superhero story is they give you the origin story eventually. How did Spider-Man become Spider-Man? You know, the origin story. Genesis is God reminding you of your origin story. See, you, you might think that you're only this and I'm only that and this is all I do and this is my life. I'm defined by my work. I'm defined by the relationships that have failed or that are flourishing. And God says, no, there's something more. I have your origin story. In the beginning, I made you and I blessed you and I called you good and you are in my image. And you, your name is beloved. My wife and I, this August, will celebrate 18 years of uh, being married and we have four children, and uh, our oldest a few months ago just turned 14, and uh, last year when she turned 13, my wife and I gave her a gift uh, that she had known about but had never uh, seen or held in her hands, and it's a journal that we've been writing in since the time she was born, and someone gave us this advice, one of the best, uh, you know, parenting ideas we were given, and they said, why don't you just start writing, you know, things, observations and notes, and so in the early going, it was just, you know, observations, this is what you do, and these are the sounds you're making, and this is how you're keeping us up at night, no, we didn't say that, and, 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 and you know, just, just a little note, and then as she got a little older, we'd say, okay, at four, you were trying to lead the family in worship, and you would stand up on the kitchen bench and, you know, start to sing, and then all of this stuff. And then as she got a little bit older, we would write at least once a year, uh, many times twice a year, we'd write longer letters to her and we'd start to say, and this is what we see in you. And these are the gifts we see emerging in you. And these are the prayers we're praying for you this year. And at 13, we, we gave it to so we're still going to keep writing in it and, and it'll be fully hers when she graduates from high school, but we wanted to give it to her at 13 to begin to read it. Because becoming a teenager and being in middle school, those can be years where your identity is questioned by others around you. Where there's other voices that want to say, okay, well, you know, you're this. So there's voices in your own head that say, maybe I'm not good, maybe I'm, you know. And And we wanted her to hear the voice of her father and mother saying, this is who you are. This is your story. This is your name. This is your destiny. And on her 13th birthday, we took her out for breakfast and we gave her this journal and she just was reading it and laughing and then crying. I think this is a picture of what it means to be blessed. 
You put your life in Jesus' hands and Jesus says, you know, I made you. You know, I delight in you. You know, I made you in my image. You know, I call you beloved. This is what it means to be blessed. What about broken? In the hands of Jesus, your life becomes broken. We use this word broken in in several ways. We we mean several things, and uh, I want to suggest to you at least three of those things. One of the ways we use the word broken is to talk about the frailty of our own lives, just being a finite human being. And so when we're overwhelmed, when we're stressed out, when we've reached our limitations, we say, well, I, I feel a little broken right now. I can't quite get to this place. Another kind of brokenness is is really not frailty, but actually failure, where we've fallen short, where we've sinned. Maybe another layer of brokenness is a wider angle lens. It has to do with the fallenness of the world. And so you experience tragedy or suffering or sickness, and, and you're broken by the brokenness of the world around us, things falling apart. Every kind of brokenness can be placed in Jesus' hands. It becomes something different when we do that. To be broken is really to be opened up to the grace of God. To be broken is to be opened up. I think about bread, maybe at an Italian restaurant where you you break it and you begin to dip it in the oil. It's once you break it that it all of a sudden the porousness of that bread opens up and it begins to soak up the oil. To be broken is really to allow our lives to be opened up to the grace of God. New Life Church in in Colorado Springs began in in 1985. I joined uh, the church in the summer of 2000. And then in 2012, we started our first kind of off-site congregation called New Life Downtown, and I was leading that and planting that and preaching at that, and it was, it was wonderful, but it was also uh, a, a time where we were, we were pretty overwhelmed by stuff, and um, we, a couple of years into it, a family had left the church, I'd come back from a trip, I was jet-lagging, I mean, it was just, it was a perfect storm of factors, and I found myself in this really low place, kind of struggling for a week or two, and I went to go see my spiritual director, and I was sitting in his office, and we're talking, and he said, Glenn, it sounds like you are standing above yourself in judgment over yourself, that there's a, there's a Glenn that's in the pit, and there's a Glenn outside it that's saying, why can't you just get up and be better already? Why can't you just pull yourself up? And he said to me, Jesus isn't waiting for you to pull yourself up. Jesus is in the pit with you. Jesus loves that Glenn, even the Glenn who's frail and weak. And we don't want to be frail and weak. But the power of the gospel is that Jesus is not afraid of our frailty. He doesn't say, oh, come back when when you're stronger. He says, I'm with you even there. And the grace of God comes flooding in. Some of you are thinking about mistakes you've made, choices you've made, and you think, Glenn, you don't understand. Ah, I'm so broken. It's not just by my frailty. There's failure in my life, and, and, and there's sin, in my, and, and, and I don't know how to recover from this. All that's left are broken pieces. There's a, a Japanese art of pottery, an ancient Japanese art of pottery called kintsugi. 
I might be mispronouncing that, but it means golden joinery, golden seams. The reason it's called this is because when a pot would break, they would repair it by using a liquid raisin that resembled gold. And as it was repaired, it actually became more beautiful. And then it actually, people started to think, this is, this is so beautiful. We actually, there was rumors in the 15th century that, <laughs> that art dealers would break pottery on purpose so that it could be repaired and then sold like this. Because the golden seams made the thing more valuable than it was before. Now that sounds like grace to me. St. Augustine said, oh, happy fault that gained for us so great a redeemer. Only God can take our faults and our failures and put it together in a way that leaves us more valuable than we were before, that makes us more beautiful than we could have been before. Only grace can be the gold that holds us together again. To be broken is to be opened up to the grace of God that begins to put us together again. But you know, there's another thing about brokenness. Is oftentimes it's the grace of God meets us in relationship with others. And we want Jesus to just pour the golden seams in in our quiet times. And yes, it does happen there. But you know what? It also happens in relationship with one another. It's when we take the risk of opening up our lives to one another that actually we begin to be Stitched together. That's why groups are such a big deal. That's why uh, connection and community in the church is such a big deal. We're, we're not here uh, to simply come on a Sunday. We're here to actually learn how to do th- this Christian life together. That's what I love about your church. You get that. You understand that you can't just have a spirituality that's vertical. You've got to have one that's horizontal. You've got to let the grace of God meet you through others. When we were Starting a new life downtown in 2012, it was also the same year that we had our fourth child. So we, the, the congregation, you know, still connected to New Life Church, all of that. But in some ways, on a Sunday, we felt, you know, in many ways alone. And so we started that in, in April. And then in June, our fourth child was born. And we had, we had several friends who had four children. And they, they advised us when we had three. They said, oh, don't worry. The fourth is not a big deal. It's easy. They lied to us. Okay, I'm just going to say... <laughs> And, um, and it really, it, it really uh, affected us. My wife struggled with some postpartum stuff, and we were drowning. And for the first you know, several months, we, we wanted to be like these pastors that were there for people. We wanted to be the ones that were helping them connect. And so we'd show up at different small groups and in people's homes, and we'd you know, tote along the baby with us, and we're, we're doing all this stuff. And then it came to the point where we were just starting to break down. <laughs> And, uh, and, and we needed to ask others for help. Now, if you're, uh, if you're in leadership of any kind, you know how difficult that can be. Because you think, it's fine for others to be weak, but I'm the strong one. Yes, the grace of God meets us in community, but I'm usually the conduit of that grace, not the recipient. And we had to learn that summer what it meant to say, could you help us? We need some help. And... Friends came over and they would bring us meals and they would relieve, you know, take the other kids out. Some of them even came and spent the night while I was away, had to be away on a trip and my wife was alone with all four. 
and they were there with us. But you know what that did? That became the catalyst for our whole small group culture at New Life downtown. All of a sudden, we began to say, look, groups are not about one sage and 12 disciples. Groups are about people opening up their lives to one another and letting the grace of God flow back and forth. And so people would be like, well, we don't need to be superstars to be group leaders. We just need to be open. And that's the thing about bread is bread that is not broken cannot be shared. Bread that is not broken cannot be shared. But once it's broken, all of a sudden this opens us up now to community, to life together, to a kind of union and communion. Thirdly, in the hands of Jesus, your life becomes given. In the hands of Jesus, your life becomes given. I want you to see something in this story here back in Luke 9, verse 16. Jesus took the five loaves and two fish. He looked up to heaven, blessed them, broke them, and gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd. Now, this is curious, isn't it? I mean, it's like, Jesus, if you can do the miracle of multiplication, why don't you do a miracle of distribution? I mean, just go ahead. Just finish the thing. Put on the magic show, right? Make a napkin all of a sudden appear on their laps with a plate. And I mean, just do it. Go all out. But that's not God's way. God has chosen to involve us in his work in the world. God has chosen to have our participation with him. He doesn't want to be the sole actor that says, Wah. he wants to say, okay, I'm going to do what, o- what only I can do, but I want you involved. It's like Jesus said to the disciples, I told you to give them something to eat. You gave me all these excuses. Okay, fine, I'll multiply it, and I'm going to give it to you so that you can give them something to eat. Listen, friends, Jesus has called you on a mission People of New Life Fellowship, Jesus has called you to join him on his mission in the world. But the good news is, it doesn't depend on you. The miraculous bit is the work of the Spirit. This is what the Holy Spirit does. But what he wants from us is the willingness to participate, to be given, is to live for the sake of the world. To be given is to live for the sake of the world of the world. We prayed this this morning in the prayer of generosity, Lord, for the sake of others. That's a picture of our whole lives. Every part of who we are is meant to be offered to him. Look, our blessedness and our brokenness is meant to lead to givenness. It doesn't end here. We don't stop at blessedness and say, oh, Jesus, thank you that you love me. Oh, I'm so glad that you love me. And now because you love me, I've got Christian goosebumps. And this is so great. It's not supposed to end there. It's supposed to keep going. And our brokenness, we don't say, oh, God, you opened me up. This is, this is okay. Good. It's good. It's kind of embarrassing, but you've opened me up. And can we just keep this private now? This openness that's happened because of being broken in the hands of Jesus is meant to lead to your purpose. It's meant to lead to a kind of givenness in the world. The Catholic writer Henry Nouwen called this being a wounded healer. That from the very woundedness that Jesus has healed flows healing now to others. 
Paul said, comfort others with the comfort you have received. Our blessedness and our brokenness is meant to lead to our givenness for the world. When you look at this story, you recognize that it's Jesus who really makes this happen. Verse 11, the beginning of the story, it says, when the crowds figured it out, they followed him. Look at all the things Jesus does. Jesus welcomed them. Jesus spoke to them. Jesus healed them. And then at the end of the story, verse 17, everyone ate and they were full. It's Jesus who leads to abundance. It's Jesus who does the miracle. And maybe for some of you this, this morning, you need to hear again, it's Jesus who takes your ordinary life. It's Jesus who takes your errand running and your to-do list and your being stuck in traffic and all the stuff that we, it's Jesus who takes this and makes it something more. It's Jesus who takes the, the cracked and broken places of our life and says, let me fill it up with my grace and let me send you out into the world. Jesus is the only one who can take our story and make it sacred. Jesus is the only one who can take our story and make it sacred. As the worship team comes this morning, I want to invite you to stand with me. In the first few centuries of the church, they would come to the Lord's table and they began to realize that something special was happening here and somehow Jesus was meeting them by the Holy Spirit. And they began to pray a prayer that's quite possibly the oldest, one of the oldest prayers of the church. And it's simply the words, come Holy Spirit. Now eventually things got, you know, the, 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 the language became Latin and so there's a phrase here in Latin that says, Veni Sancte Spiritus. It just means come Holy Spirit. I want to invite you to sing this in a very simple way this morning. We're just going to take one note of the chord and we're going to sing it like this. Veni Sancte Spiritus. Can you do that? Let's try that together. Veni Sante Spiritus. Now we're going to go up to the third note. Veni Sante Spiritus. And we're going to go up one more to the five. Veni Sante invite you to open up your hands and pick one of those notes. It could be either of those three notes in the chord. And we're just going to sing it out now. One more time. One more time. Lift it up. Now we're going to do this in English, a little different uh, rhythm here, it just goes like this. 
up to the third. Holy Spirit, come. Jump up to the five. Holy Spirit, come. Now pick one of those notes and let it resonate as a chorus. Sing. Quietly, one last time. So come, Holy Spirit. Take every part of our story, the mundane and the messy, the ordinary and the common, and let your presence come rushing in. Send us out into the world as carriers of glory. Send us out into the world as people who have been blessed, broken, and given. In Jesus' name, amen. So what an invitation for all of us today. I mean, that story is, it's inexhaustible. It's in each of the four Gospels because it's just bottomless. You could study it for 40 years and not even come near the bottom of its depth. So there's an invitation for us today. And I, I don't know where you are, but the Lord sees you and says, blessed. And he sees you and he's going he's gonna to break you. And uh, because he does want you to be given. Now, I know every message probably you heard uh, has not been blessed, probably cursing, like I did, and all those worries that come at you, and, and you hear brokenness, and you just want to go and die in the pit and never get out, and you feel like you don't have anything to offer anybody, you're just trying to keep your head above water. And that's why that ending song we just sang was just, that is God to us. You know, come, Holy Spirit, come. So God enables us to absorb a message like this and actually have it change our lives and we can actually enter into it. So you can't and I can't in my own strength. I, I don't have it. You don't have it. But in the hands of Jesus, we actually can experience the reality of you're blessed and that your brokenness is a gift to the world and that you're a gift to the world. And so we're going to close. And this is what we're going to do. We're going to have some prayer teams to your right over here. <coughs> and I want to invite you to come. Uh, to receive prayer uh, as we close the service. And uh, you know who you are in this room and where you're just, it's not real. It, it, you're, you're in a place of a pit where you don't feel like this brokenness is leading anywhere. And God has come today and say, no, I'm taking you somewhere to be a blessing. Or you don't feel blessed at all. Uh, you feel like you're a waste and the Lord's come to you today. He said, no, I, I have blessed you and all these events happening around you and to you, I'm in it 
because I'm taking you somewhere, just like I was taking that crowd and the disciples somewhere. And so I want to invite you to come forward and let folks lay hands on you and pray for you. And let, let the power of prayer by the Holy Spirit take you somewhere that you just can't get on your own. I can't get there on my own. I, it takes the power of God. And we're here as a community because we, we need each other. We, we don't do this alone. And so I want to invite you to come forward for prayer and let folks lay hands on you and come for prayer and say, I need, and it's not just you and Jesus, it's, it's we and Jesus. And then we got the Lord's table over to your left and come and just eat and drink of Jesus. And that, that's, that's Jesus for us, right? Blessed, broken, and given. And so we too, we take his life in us and his life then gets lived through us. And his path is your path and my path. There is no other path, but through brokenness and death, there comes life and resurrection. So listen, God brought you here today because he loves you and he's got his hand on you and his eye on you and somehow you got in this room today because he's after you and he loves you. And so I want to invite you to open up your hands like this towards heaven. I'm going to just speak a blessing over you. We're going to close our service and those who need to remain, I want you to don't rush out of here, okay? Get your coffee later. Come for prayer. Come for communion. Let God finish what he's doing in you Don't let those good seeds fall to the ground and die. So hands open to receive. The eyes of God are on you now, and he sees you, and he loves you with an intensity uh, far greater than the sun in all of its brilliance and heat. And so now with your hands open, may, may may the Holy Spirit make the love of God real to you now. May he open your eyes, open your heart, open your spirit to receive the flood of the spirit of God inside of you that you might see and know that you are blessed and that every piece of your story is a gift to the world and that your brokenness is actually new beginnings for you and that God's taking you somewhere wonderful for his namesake and for your life. And so be blessed, I pray, in the name of Jesus. And may your life be a gift this week as you leave this place to those you touch. And may your ordinariness be actually the brokenness like of that pottery that really offers Jesus to the world. May you be the bread that feeds. May God move through you in power beyond your human strength. So be blessed, I pray, in the name of Jesus. And everybody said amen. God bless you, everybody.